This is the Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman. Brought to you by the Academy of Dental CPAs. Whether it's taxes, investing, or planning wisely, Art is your guide to make your dental practice as profitable as possible. Here's your host, Dental CPA, Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman, CPA. That's me. Uh, I'm a dental-specific CPA located in Southern California. We have about 250 dentists that we work with in our CPA practice. And in Southern California, about 175 actual practices that we work with. I'm also a proud member of the National Academy of Dental CPAs, which is 24 amazing CPA firms that represent about 9,000 dentists across the United States. And today we're going to talk about a very, very important topic for all of us. And our topic today is Social Security. Social Security is something that uh, we're all eventually going to have to deal with. Um, Generally, you deal with it in your 60s, but it's something that is part of everybody's retirement plan. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that today. And my guest today is one of my dear friends from the Academy of Dental CPAs, Paul Woody from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Now, in the Academy of Dental CPAs, as I mentioned, we have 24 firms. And all of our firms are very, very well-versed in all the overhead percentages and uh, what percentage of your hygiene, uh, what percentage of your practice should be in hygiene, what percentage of your hygiene should be in the 4,000 codes. We all know that, talk about that, study that at our meetings twice a year. But some of our members, like Paul, have taken a particular expertise. Uh, Like, for example, Alan Schiff, our president, is a certified fraud examiner. And uh, we had him on the show talking about uh, that. We have many of our members. Uh, we had Joe Kalinowski from California on talking about investments. Well, Paul's specialty is his knowledge of how Social Security works. And uh, and it is one of the most complex things that, that we deal with. Probably the most complex thing in the tax code is the partnership section of the tax code. And, and you have to be an expert and study that every day. Social Security is its own law. It's it's so voluminous, it's not even funny. So we are going to go ahead and uh, unlock some of the mysteries and myths about Social Security with Paul. And at the end, Paul and I are going to chat a little bit about entrepreneurship for dentistry, which we both have a very strong passion for. But before we get underway, I want to give you a little bit of information. My phone number in Southern California is 714 714- Two five nine zero five zero five. If you want to get a hold of me, if you want to send me an email, I'm at artweederman at gmail dot com. I got a wonderful email last week from a dentist who said, "I really love your your podcast." And um, by the way, how do you like your Peloton? I'm approaching one hundred fifty rides on my Peloton. If you want to follow me on on Peloton on, on Peloton, I'm at. Uh, uh, Art Dental Finance, the E is cut off because there's only so many letters you can put on there. And uh, so if you want to send me an email, send it at artweederman at gmail.com. If you want to look at any of our podcasts and and see, we have a wide variety of things we've talked about in the first year of our podcast, go ahead and go to uh, www.hmwccpa.com, go to the resource tab, and then go to podcasts, and they're all there for you to download. Again, that's the beauty of podcasts is you can download them and listen to them at your at your leisure. So that's my information, my story, and I'm sticking to it. So uh, let's uh, let's start talking about our topic today, which is which is Social Security. And I want to give you a little bit of statistics before I bring Paul on. So as of June of 2018, 62.5 million people were receiving some sort of Social Security or disability benefits. That's about one in five of every, one out of five of every American, 19% of the U.S. population. Now, this was interesting. I thought I'd share this with you. Social Security was started uh, by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1935. And at that time, the tax rate combined employer and employee, because as those of you who run a dental practice know, you pay your part of Social Security. 
and the employee part pays their part. It's 50-50. So it's 6.2% right now of salaries, and 6.2% is paid by the employee. So it, it was 2% of salary that was capped at a maximum of $3,000. So that's $60 per person. Well, now it's a little more than that. And the last thing I want to share with you before I go to Paul and introduce him is in 1937, the government published a pamphlet. And in that pamphlet, it said, and I quote, and finally, in 1949, 12 years from now, you and your employer will pay three cents you earn on each dollar uh, up to $3,000 per year, quote, that is the most you will ever pay. Well, that's not necessarily true. <laughs> the Social Security wage base is now over 130, I think it's $135,000. Paul will straighten me out on that. And um, uh, it's uh, it's 12.4%. So Social Security is a big, big deal. And we're going to get into the mystery and the myth of it right now. So my guest is my dear friend, Paul Woody. Paul is uh, a partner in Woody and Associates in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. He practices with his amazing son, Grant. Uh, These folks are just as good a human beings as you're ever going to meet. They're just wonderful. Paul shares things with the ADCP on our blog all the time. Um, Paul started his career in 1968 with General Electric. He worked there for four years. Uh, he started his CPA firm in, 19, in August of 1972, and he and Grant are partners in uh, Woody and Associates. Uh, Paul is a CPA, an enrolled agent, so he's qualified to practice in front of the Internal Revenue Service. And Paul has another skill, uh, which is he is a certified valuation ana- analyst, so he values dental practices, and we're not going to get into that today. So my good friend, Paul Woody, welcome to the Art of Dental Finance. Thank you, Art. I appreciate it. And um, that was a very nice introduction. Appreciate it very much. So, so Paul, I, I, I was reading your bio on your website, and, and apparently you, um, you started your practice, uh, what, going door to door. Talk a little bit about that. You know, in 1972, I moved down from uh, Schenectady, New York, because I'd worked for GE for four years, and uh, really didn't know anybody in Oklahoma City other than my grandmother lived there. And so... I started at Northwest 10th and May Avenue and uh, just chugged up the street. And about three weeks later, at 92nd in May, 82 block, I got my first client, a barbershop. A barbershop? Yeah, it was uh, kind of an interesting uh, time frame, uh, starting your own business from scratch. But uh, it worked out okay, ultimately. I, well, I, I certainly do think it, it didn't. How did you get involved working with dentists? You know, uh, I kind of had this feeling that I should work with the medical community, one of everything. So I wanted to work. I had animals. So I want to work with a veterinarian. I had to go to the doctor. I want to work with a physician. And I had to go to the dentist. So uh, basically, when I went to the dentist, I, uh, I would ask uh, if I could talk to the dentist professionally. And my feeling was if uh, they didn't want me to talk to him professionally, then I would just find another dentist. But as it turns out, my first dentist, became my first dental client. And um, so it uh, worked out. And he re- they're such a good referral source, and they're good people, that uh, they started referring me. And before long, you had two or three, and you know how that goes, Art. You just say, you know, that you build off uh, what you get. Uh, that, that, that is true. I mean, I, I will tell you that, that um, I love the dentists that I work with. They're some of the most caring human beings I've ever met. I've had the opportunity to refer couple of folks to them and and some have had problems and you just listen to them talk and ask questions and you just know uh, how well they treat people. So in, in moving into our topic on social security, uh, you were sharing with me before we went uh, went live with the podcast that uh, you had an interesting phone call uh, yesterday. Why don't you share that a little bit? You know, this is so disturbing on so many fronts because I know a lot of our dental clients uh, are going to get these kind of calls, but uh, it was at my, I'm up here in Maine for a week at my home in Maine, and it was on my, and I have one of these old guys, so I have land phone. So on my land phone was a message from Officer John Peterson. He contends he's with the Social Security Enforcement Division, 
And uh, there's illegal enforcement for criminal activity on my account. Oh, my. Before they proceed with freezing my number and taking away my benefits, I've got to call him at area code 424. And area code 424, just so you know, Art, is out there in California. Um, it is about eight or nine Southern California cities listed. It could be anywhere. But the, the trick is most people use only a cell phone anymore. And on that cell phone, they have all their private information. So what this character wants you to do is dial that number and automatically he has access to your cell phone. So it's, uh, it, it's alarming to me because the message sounds so authentic that uh, if I wasn't working with, in fact, that's one of my top 10, is that the Social Security is not going to suspend, revoke, block, or freeze your number or your benefit. And the other thing is the Social Security Administration is out of Baltimore, Maryland, not out of Southern California. So it's alarming to me because I know our clients in the dental community and everybody in the United States are getting these crazy calls. You're, you're absolutely right. And tell them to ignore it. That's right. I've received personally approximately 20 of these calls on my cell phone. And uh, you do not want to return them. You might get mad and return them and say, oh, don't call me anymore. But by returning the call, you're giving these people what they want. They're very, very smart. Uh, and, and, and they can't be caught. So l- let me just be clear, folks. If you get a phone call from a government agency, whether it's Social Security uh, or the Internal Revenue Service or a state agency, uh, I want to be really clear. And this might be, as Paul and I were talking earlier, the most important thing we say this morning. These agencies will not contact you by phone. They will not email you. They will not fax you. They will send you a certified letter. And even today, when I get a certified letter from a client that says IRS wants to talk to you, I actually call. We have a tax practitioner hotline, and I will call that hotline, and I will say, I would like to verify that this particular person whose name is on this notice is an IRS employee because I don't trust anybody, Paul. I mean, it's terrible. Yeah. Yes. It's it's a bad deal, and it's affecting more people than we really think. And uh, like you say, Art, you get upset and you know it's not. So you want to call him and say, quit calling me. But if you call him on your cell phone, that's exactly what they want you to do. Right. So uh, they want to get your private information. And then it's going to take you maybe as many as one to two years to get it all straightened out again once they have uh, that private information. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah, you, you're right, Art. Uh, I didn't know I you'd had 20 of those calls. That doesn't surprise me. No. They don't give up. And they just dial all over the country, uh, leaving these messages. And uh, this guy, uh, I mean, he sounded like a, a, a middle-aged guy. Uh, he sounded authentic, you know. And so you want to think, golly, why they're calling me. But as you indicated, they're going to send out letters. They'll send out, they're not going to email or make these phone calls. So they, our people just need to know, ignore it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's great, Paul. So, so what we're going to do today, ladies and gentlemen, is we're kind of going to do, Paul is going to kind of do the mini conversation that he did with us at the Academy of Dental CPA meeting in Fort Worth uh, about a month or so ago is, is his top 10 items regarding social security. So we're going to kind of go down this list and we're going to have a conversation, and you're going to learn a lot about this. And and by the way, folks, if you're 35 years old, don't don't turn this podcast off because, number one, you're going to have to plan for your retirement and plan for your Social Security, and there are things that you can be doing right now uh, for that. And the other thing is, is you might have uh, an aunt, an uncle, a parent who maybe doesn't understand how this works, and maybe you can help them plan for theirs. So this is important for everybody. So, Paul, let's start off with, first of all, what, what's the normal retirement age to draw Social Security? The normal retirement age is going to be, for our listeners, either 66 or 67, normally. Um, that doesn't mean you can't take it before then, because you can take it as early as 62. But if you do, uh, there's a penalty. And I'm, what I mean by penalty, they reduce the benefit by anywhere from 25% for those uh, born between 1943 and 54, up to as high as 35% for those born in 1960 and beyond. So, 
you need to really know that uh, uh, you're going to get zapped on that benefit. Plus, your earnings are limited during that time. I I enjoyed your comment about the 2% of the first $3,000 back in 1935. And that this year, uh, the maximum is 132.9. And of course, it's 6.2%. So instead of paying $60 like they did in 35, it's uh, 8240 I think that percentage difference is over 13,000% increase. It's just been amazing at that, that jump over the years. And I know we're all earning that 13,000% in the stock market for sure. No, no doubt about it. But um, so you, you talked about <clears throat> if you draw your Social Security uh, before you reach your full retirement age. And, and for years, Paul, up until, what is it, five or seven or eight years ago, uh, normal retirement age was your 65th birthday. But then uh, with all the issues they've had, they they kind of pushed that out a little bit. Uh, my uh, I'm 60, so my my full retirement age is 66 years and nine months, I believe. It's it's a it's a chart that you can look up. Um, so so what the what's the maximum um, if you want to draw early? Uh, what's the maximum that you can earn before? You, I think you have to give benefits back, right? Yeah, you do. And I didn't, uh, that number is about fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars $16,000 in that range. It's not a lot of money. Um, and uh, uh, so there, uh, you know, you need to really be cautious about that because uh, we'll, we'll talk later in the podcast about why people do take it at 62. Right. But the uh, penalty is so high yeah. and then on that if you earn more than uh i don't have that number i i I actually had to look it up yesterday paul for a client who asked me about this uh for 2019 17,640 i believe is the number so for every for every dollar that you make i think you you have to give back uh um uh you you have to give back to you have to give it back so by the time you you get to like twenty five thousand dollars you've basically given it all back so if you're going to continue working um, and making any kind of decent money, you probably don't want to do this, right? That's exactly right. And uh, that's, uh, that, that's a good comment because if you're going to continue working, why penalize yourself? Plus, I always contend that it's a family decision for those that are married that you're also impacting uh, your wife or your husband, depending on who, who is uh, who's the prime mover in terms of income. So you have to be very cautious about this because uh, there's not a lot of time you can change. You can change your mind within a year, but uh, people don't usually do that as a result. So this is an interesting thing. Yesterday came up. I have a client who uh, is 66 and he's at full retirement age. And uh, he went through a very, very nasty divorce about five or six years ago and really got stripped of a lot of his net worth. And he says, well, you know, everybody's told me that I should just wait till I'm 70. And I said, wait a minute, you need this money right now. He said, you're right. I said, yes, I'm always right. That's the rules. That's how it works. You know, you look up in the engagement letter I sent you. It says art is always right, except on Tuesdays, right? But um, right. I, I said, to him, I said, you need the money. So, you know, that that's another thing. So um, uh, I don't know if, um, uh, you know, if this would be the right place to talk about it, Paul, but What's your advice to your clients as to when they should take their social security? Should they, you know, assuming that we're talking about a dentist who's going to be making more than $17,640 a year and they're going to wait till, you know, their full retirement age. What do you tell your clients? You know, what I do is, is I tell them there's no right or wrong on when to draw it, but just understand the rules because the problem you run into is, um, no one knows when we're going to die. And there's a, there's an example in our, in our program today that, that, you know, different ages, it depends on when you're going to die. However, if you have pretty good longevity in your family and you've taken care of yourself, uh, there's a pretty good chance a lot of people are living now into their eighties. And if you reasonably think you're going to live into your eighties or nineties, it's better to let the Social Security ride uh, from 66 to 70 because in that four-year period, that's going to compound at 8% a year. That's a 32% compounding. So 
a, a retired person could have a benefit at 66 of around $2,400 as an example, if he's been paying a pretty good chunk over, over his lifetime, that benefit could be $900 to $1,000 more in just four years. And that's a permanent annuity that doesn't stop until he dies. And the good thing is when he does die, or she, if the case may be, whichever one is the higher earner, it goes to the spouse 100%. So that's why I always say it's a family decision, but no one really knows. The, I guess there's really no perfect time to take it, but if you're, uh, your health has been good, uh, it's usually good to let that, uh, let that ride, especially if you've lost some of your retirement. Your example of your guy uh, I would encourage him to rethink that a little bit because uh, if he's been stripped a lot of his money, he probably could use that extra nine hundred thousand a month, and that'd be for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, if he starts drawing it, he only has one year to stop it and pay it back, and then he has to pay it back. Recalculating again. Well, yeah, and again, the, 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 I think the whole point of this, Paul, is that. Every single person has a different financial story um, right. a, about this. You know, I, I my personal opinion, and again, I, I absolutely understand 8% compounding, but I don't necessarily trust that between the ages of 66 and 70, this government isn't going to come and say, by the way, Mr. Wiederin, uh, because you have blue eyes and you were born in, in uh, New York City, New York, uh, we're going to cut your Social Security benefits. I'm, I'm probably going to draw mine when I get to 66 and um, uh, it's also a fact that I've just paid in for so many years. But again, everybody's opinion is, is, is different. And uh, from a mathematical standpoint, Paul, you're absolutely right. Uh, If you can wait till 70 to take it. uh, I mean, I've got, I've got people getting, you know, husbands and wives who have both done that and both worked their whole careers. And and I've got one that's making, you know, getting over $65,000 a year in social security benefits. And that's not unusual if you let, if you let the benefit ride on at least one of the spouses. And what's good about our organization, the Academy of Dental CPAs, we all have different opinions. We don't have to agree on everything. We just have different uh, views of how it should work. My feeling is this is not an entitlement. It is stuff that we have paid into for a number of years. And it's based on the top 35 years of earnings. And we deserve every dime we can get, whether it be at 66. Or at age seventy, I just hate when people take it early. That's where the the most people take it at sixty two because a lot of them don't understand the rules, which is why we're talking about this today. But the main thing that ought to resonate in my mind is Social Security is not an entitlement, and I don't think they're ever going to take it away from us because we paid in. I think you'd see the Boston Tea Party again if they tried to reduce it or take it away. They just need to find a way to fix it and fix the health of Social Security, which I think they can, but they have to do it before 2034. Right, and and we'll, we'll get to that. And and the fact of the matter is there's 62,000, 62,500,000 reasons why they're not going to touch this, and they're all called voters. And the, they're, they're well aware of it. I mean, you know, we have a trillion-dollar-a-year budget deficit, and you can easily, easily fix that uh, by by slamming these um, the Social Security and Medicare, but... Um, uh, we would have a completely new Congress and, and new president if that happened, but that's another discussion for another day. So, Paul, I, I've heard we've talked about a restricted application. What does that mean? You know, years ago, under uh, under President Bush, uh, they set up a thing where you could file and suspend. So, Art, you're married. Um, uh, your wife could file and immediately suspend and draw half of your benefits till 70. Well, they did away with file and suspend. So the only benefit left is this thing called filing a restricted application. And it's only available for listeners that were born prior to January 2nd of 1954. And the way it works is the spouse must file and then take 50% of the spouse's benefits while your benefits compound at 8%. And then at age 70, you switch over to the higher benefit. So the other spouse must be drawing for this restricted application to work. I had a client who uh, uh, his wife uh, was a dentist. She's a, She was a few years older. She's 68 or 69. And uh, 
he, at 66 in April, he decided to file a restricted application. So went to the Oklahoma City Social Security office, and the person he talked to didn't understand what a restricted application was. <laughs> that is what's scary, Art, is that there's people within the government, they have this rule and they don't know it, but I told him, I said, if they don't act like they know what a restricted application is, ask for a supervisor. Right. So they did. And that's what he did. So now he is letting his age 66 benefit compound till 70, and he's drawing half of his wife's benefit, who was already drawing Social Security because she didn't want to. She was worried it might not be there, whatever reason, and she started drawing. So but it's only available if they were born before January 2nd of 1954. If they if they're in that category, I suggest they go to a local Social Security office and talk to someone there. And um, if they don't act like they know what that is, ask for a supervisor. And we're going to let Paul give his information out in a minute, because if they don't understand, Paul does. And, and we're going to let him uh, give out his information in, in, a, in a little bit. So, so, Paul, let's say I started drawing Social Security. And then I think, well, maybe it wasn't a good idea. How, how does that work? Can I change my mind and stop? Yeah, you know, um, uh, before they changed the rules a couple of years ago, you could change your mind anytime between 62 <laughs> and 70. Well, unfortunately, they changed the do-over rule. I mean, you remember growing up, we always had, let's do a do-over. Well, now that do-over, instead of being six, seven, eight years, is only one year. So if you draw it for five or six months and decide, you know what, probably a mistake, you can turn around, pay it back, and then it starts compounding again till age 70. Uh, now, what I didn't know until I was preparing for our meeting in Fort Worth is what happens if you're beyond the do-over rule? Let's say that uh, you missed it, and uh, instead of being only six months, it's now a year and a half. Well, I didn't realize you could do this, but you can. What you, what you do is you can suspend the benefit at your full retirement age, and then it will compound 8% for the, for the next four years. So a person taking it at 63, 64, draws it for two or three years, and then realizes he's going to need a bigger benefit, well, then he can stop it, and then the benefits continue to compound at that lower amount, but it's at 8% a year. So there is a way around that. If, um, if he does that, Paul, does he have to pay back those benefits he got when he was 63 and 64? No. In that case, he just he's, all he's doing is suspending it, and he's not paying it back. He's just going to let the benefits start growing again. Now, it's going to be at a lower amount because he's already already received some money, but he still would get that 8% compounding between 866 and 70. So so this is if you miss the time frame, this is what you're talking about, right? Correct. If you miss that one one year time frame to change your mind. we we I try to encourage them not to take it early because I hate a penalty anyway, and 25 to 35% is a substantial amount to give up on a benefit you've worked for all your life. So it just uh, it, it's just another way to know that if you miss the one-year time frame, you have a way to suspend it, and then, uh, and then it would compound again for the next four years. Okay. And, no, uh, go ahead. Lifestyle and, and how long people are going to live, but they do have that availability. Uh, they just need to check on it. So, ladies and gentlemen, one of the one of the things we do on this podcast is we we do provide you with amazing, amazing resources. I'm kind of uh, an impartial person. I keep calling them amazing. They are. Paul Woody is probably the most knowledgeable person that we have in the ADCPA, and probably one of the most knowledgeable CPAs in the country on how Social Security works. I, I certainly don't have that knowledge, and uh, Paul has been very kind to to help me and many of our members with specific questions. So. If you have a question, and again, this is another reason to work with a dental-specific CPA who knows all about dentistry and, and, and a lot of these other things, um, I would strongly encourage you to give Paul a call. So, Paul, w would you be so kind to give out your um, information, your contact information? Can, uh, yeah, the, the office number is area code 405-840-8000. <laughs> 
and we're there eight to five pretty much all the time. That's in Oklahoma City. And my email address is, is all letters are small, pwoody at woody cpas, and that's plural, cpas.com. And and that information will also be on our website, and 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 you'll see it um, uh, so that you can contact Paul, or you can email me, or actually you can go on the website of the Academy of Dental CPAs, which is www.adcpa.org, and just click on our members link and go to Oklahoma, and they are our Oklahoma member. Real quick, Paul, before we get back on the subject, uh, you you guys have been in the ADCPA, I think, fifteen years, maybe. You were not an original member, but um, I think uh, I first met you guys maybe in Chicago. What what is this organization meant to you guys? You know, uh, my son came home uh, one time and and said he uh, was looking into this Academy of Dental CPAs, which I had not heard of, and uh, he got us in it in November of two thousand two. That might have been the Chicago meeting. I don't know. I wasn't at that meeting and because uh, I hadn't had a chance to meet anybody. But, uh, Art, this has been the single best, one of the single best decisions uh, we've ever made. And my son made it because I wasn't even familiar with ADCPA, you know, back in 2002. But uh, uh, it's really nice to be involved with, uh, with ladies and gentlemen of both who really have a good understanding of, of taxes, but in particular, an understanding of the dental community, because most of them are dental specific. And these guys are very, and gals, very caring about their clients, and they want the best, which is why this group meets twice a year to focus on what's happening in dentistry and what can we do to make our dental clients uh, more profitable Again, trying to protect him from taxes as well. So it's been a great fit for my son Grant and I. Well, we could we could meet uh, we 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 could meet every single month and not have enough to talk about. So uh, it's 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 crazy. And uh, your, your son Grant is amazing. In fact, uh, my wife Lynn and I were walking on uh, on the shore of Lake Michigan, and uh, Grant, uh, I saw Grant walking, and I said, "What's going on?" He says, "Well, he pulled out the ring, and he says." I'm going to propose to my girlfriend, Carrie. And he left and we were still walking around and they came walking back. And I said, hi guys, what's going on? Carrie pulls out her left hand and shows, look what I got. So I think we were the first ones to see them as an engaged couple. That's a true story. I knew about it before I did. Well, <laughs> that, that's about being a parent. That's another, that's another podcast. <laughs> All right, Paul, let's get back into the subject. Let's talk about the health of the Social Security Trust Fund. What's going on with that? Well, the uh, the latest report in April of 2019, they put out an annual report to trustees, and the benefits are good uh, through 2034. I think they indicated in that report that 2019 was the first year that the payout of benefits slightly exceeded the pay-in. And with the surplus that they have, we are good through 2034. But the trustee report indicated that in 2034, there would be a 23% cut in benefit unless something is done to fix it. So a $2,000 benefit would be sliced to $1,540. So we got 14 years to get this issue solved. And, you know, it's not something that the congressmen and the senators like to talk about. But it is something that they need to talk about, and it needs to get fixed. And there's a numerous ways, whether they open up the maximum, which this year is 132900 or increase that 6.2%. It's been that way for a long time. Interesting thing, Art, when I'm at OU and I was working part-time, the maximum, I believe, was around 7800 and that was in the uh, 60s. So it has skyrocketed from the $7,800 range in the 60s all the way up to 132900 for 2019, and it goes up even higher in uh, in 2020. So they've got time to fix it if they will. Well, and, and a big issue is is that you now have all the baby boomers coming through Social Security age, and that's a huge right. part of our, our, our economy. I mean, right now for every you know one person that pays in, it's supporting one person. Back then, it was one person paying in would support, I believe it was nine people when it started off. I mean, this 
again, was never intended to be a full retirement benefit. And then you've got inflation. Um, <clears throat> they raised this about one, one and a half percent a year. Um, and, and that's set by Social Security. So, uh, so l- let's talk a little bit. Is it, it, do you think that lots of people rely, rely on this as their primary source of income? You know, the Gallup poll, which, you know, I don't know how, how authentic some of these studies are, but they're saying 57% of all retirees rely on Social Security as their primary source of retirement wow. uh, income. A, uh, a survey done by Nationwide Retirement Institute, which is part of Nationwide Financial, says that number is more in the 44 to 45% range. The truth is somewhere in between. But if you have half of our country relying on Social Security, that should be a message to our lawmakers that this is a big deal and we need to get this thing fixed and we need to get it fixed sooner than later. I don't think we should wait to 2030 or 2031 to start working on a problem that's going to face us in 2034. We need to get somebody in Congress that will work on it in 2020 and 2021 and come up with some solutions to fix it because it's not going away. And if you try to take it away again, back to my comment, the Boston Tea Party comes back. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. And not only that, but if you add a bit, a trillion dollars of our national debt, which nobody talks about our national debt, and that's not what this podcast is about, but right now you're at about 22 trillion, add a trillion dollars a year, for 14 years, now you have a national debt uh, uh, of $36 trillion, and you're now getting to the point where bad things will happen and Social Security, you know, I mean, it, something's going to have to give, but you're, you're absolutely right. And doctors, that's another reason why you need to be saving money early. And now I'm talking to my, uh, my, my doctors out of college who are just getting out of dental school and now starting their practices. Um, you need to, to to do this. You need to save as much money as you can so you you don't have to rely on so be one of the 50% that relies on Social Security uh, as your only uh, retirement. So um, so w- does Social Security have the right to suspend, revoke, or freeze uh, the benefits? Or, or suspend they my Social And they won't do it uh, under any circumstances. And if they get a call like I got today and they want to verify anything, they, there's a 1-800 number, Art. It's 1-800-772-1213. And that's the, that's the legitimate Social Security number. Um, and that's what I would recommend that, you know, they call if they get a, a concerned call. Rather than calling back the person, call the 1-800-772-1213 and say, hey, did you, send, did you just call me? And they're going to say, no, they're going to say just what we said earlier in the uh, podcast. Yeah. You, you got to be so careful about what phone calls you take and all this stuff. I mean, it, it, it's, it's very sad, but it, it is real life. And then go over that rule. You talked about reason for delaying Social Security even for one year. I think we talked a little bit about that. Yeah. The, uh, the nice thing uh, to delay one year while you're thinking about it, make certain that you're ready. Earn while you can. Future earnings will be limited because we're going to get old. I mean, it's, it's just it's just a fact of life. Um, reach a benefit threshold. Is there a perfect time to quit and tr- draw? There probably is not a perfect time. You want to make sure you have a you have enough money. Maybe complete any uh, meaningful project that you have underway, and meet with your financial planner. Refine your specific retirement plan. What are you going to do during retirement? I always contend that when my uh, dental clients will tell me, you know, I think I'm going to go ahead and retire and sell my dental practice, I always say two things. One, you got to be emotionally ready for it. That's a that's a tough one because you've been used to being the guy in charge all these years. And the other thing is financial. Are you going to be able to be okay? Uh, so those are things you need to consider. And it wouldn't hurt if you think you may want to take it at 66. Wait one year. And even that one year, you're going to compound 8% and look at your whole life, but really refine what you're going to do during those retirement years, because it's very possible, Art, some of our listeners are going to live in their late 80s and 90s. What are you going to do during all that time? Do you really have a plan? 
Well, one of my best friend's dad's is turning 86 in February, and we went golfing the other day, and he's still driving the ball over 200 yards. So I'm I'm keeping my fingers and my toes crossed that I can get that uh, uh, get get that far. So, Paul, what are some of the biggest mistakes people make when claiming their Social Security? Um, mainly, they rely on general information. Uh, make sure you talk to people that understand Social Security, and that's not the Social Security employees because they're not going to give you advice. And that's probably a good thing, come to think of it. Um, also, con- uh, omitting critical considerations, life expectancy, physical health, income needs. Spousal benefits, that's a big important thing. You want to make sure your spouse is taken care of. Uh, family history is important. Retiring early with a family history of living to 90 plus means you may want to delay taking benefits to 70 because you've got good longevity in your family. Another mistake that they make is misunderstanding the key calculations. Uh, everyone needs to understand that the benefit that you're going to draw at 66 or 70, whatever you draw it, or even at 62, is based on the top 35 years of earning. And again, it's the 8% compounding from 62 to 70 that really is nice. You want to analyze the benefits at 62, 66, and 70, and you can do it in between that. Another mistake, failing to coordinate benefits. Look at your total retirement assets, including pensions, 401ks, IRAs, where are you with all these benefits? Um, Misinterpreting early application versus delaying benefits. A lot of people don't know what we're talking about today, about the 8% a year, but it's real and it does compound. But here's the big important mistake that I really feel bad about for some, and that's forgetting about the spouse and survivor benefits. It's a family decision. In my mind, it's not an individual one. And the last thing is, as we said earlier, it shouldn't be relied on as 100% of retirement benefits, even though possibly half of our nation relies on it as their their primary. So that's a real important thing. I think the thing that I that I think is so important is making sure that they verify. And of course, this is this is a mistake. It was it was something I mentioned at our meeting uh, because. They do make mistakes on that. No, and, no. The government makes mistakes? Paul, You know, I how can you say that? That's awful. <laughs> you don't want to be part of the 5% where they made an error. I had a situation with a client back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, where they had not included any of her income. She was an owner of a restaurant, and they had left off her uh, Schedule C earnings. So we got all the tax returns together. And they wouldn't change it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you're kidding me. It says they won't make any changes if you may, if there's a mistake made for beyond three years. So it's the first time I ever went into a congressman's office. But there's a congressman in Oklahoma by the name of Mickey Edwards. He's no longer a congressman, but at the time he was. And just happened to catch him at his office that year. Uh, that day I walked in to, to ask one of his aides to maybe look into this. And you know what, Art? They fixed it. But again, <laughs> we had to go to a congressman to get it fixed. Wow. So it's important that they check their benefit, and they can do it online. They can set up their own account. And the, it's, the website is, of course, World Wide Web, www.ssa.gov slash my account. And they can, they'll ask for some private information. I mean, they asked me my mother's maiden name. How'd they know that? But they did. Uh-huh. Uh, and so once you set that account up, you can check it every year to make sure that it's accurate. Um, the other thing that you know, we, our dentists need to know is that their tax return, the 1040s, need to be a permanent record. In case there is a mistake, the only record they're going to look at is a Form 1040. So even though... The statute ends in three years on federal and some states are six to seven years. They need to hang on to their tax returns forever just in case there's a problem with their account. And if they won't correct it because it's within, out of the three-year window, then in my mind, you have to go to a congressman or a senator and say, hey, I need your help. That's why we elected you to help us. You're absolutely right. You know, you know, it was, it was interesting. Uh, and this is not necessarily on social security on Medicare. My client that came in yesterday, 
Um, uh, they were talking about um, uh, the situation where they had, I had actually sold their dental practice a couple of years earlier, uh, about two years ago. And Medicare benefits, what you end up paying from Medicare is based on your, uh, what's called your modified adjusted gross income. So their adjusted gross income went way up in the year they sold their practice. So doctors, one of the things you could do is to call Social Security and say, listen, this was an aberration. This was a practice, my practice sale. Uh, and they actually got some money back. That was very interesting, too. So, and they will do that, if, but you've got to call them. You've got to call them. Yep. A lot of people aren't aware of what you just stated, Art. Yep. That's, uh, again, a good reason to work with someone that is knowledgeable in that area, because <laughs> if it's an unusual spike, uh, they will take that into account. But if you don't call them, they won't. No, nope, they, they, they will not call you. No. Well, Paul, that was fantastic information about Social Security. I want to spend the last uh, bit of our time together. Uh, you and I are both very, very passionate about entrepreneurship and dentistry. And, you know, we, we all know that, um, I mean, if, if you listen to the statistics, anywhere between, you know, 17 and 22 percent of organized dentistry is now in uh, what we call group practice uh uh, large corporate uh, groups. There are, you know, there are, you know, ten or fifteen of them that own, you know, five hundred practices and <clears throat> lots of individuals out there who are trying to emulate that. So, t- talk about. I know you lecture at the Oklahoma University Dental School. Uh, talk about your thoughts on entrepreneurship and let, let's 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 have that conversation for a little bit. You know, it's um, <clears throat> uh, you're you're correct. Some of the group practices and uh, corporate dentistry have continue to increase. And uh, I don't know where it is. It's 18 to 22% of the market getting higher all the time. And they serve a good purpose because not every dentist coming out of dental school um, wants to be in private practice. So I'm not saying there's not a need there for corporate dentistry, but for most dentists, they want to run their own show. They've been trained. They had four years of uh, regular college. They got four years becoming a doctor. Uh, some will go into residencies. And so the last thing they want is someone to dictate how they do their procedures or when to show up and work. So it's really important, I think, to focus on running your own business. Uh, you know, these dentists that are re- getting ready to retire, they need to have someone that they can sell it to, not necessarily to the corporate guys. I've had a couple of dentists that have told me, they will refuse to sell it to it. They want to sell it to a, an individual practitioner who will run the practice the way that they set it up. And um, so it's very important um, to give that some thought because when they do take over a practice, whether they start from scratch or whether they buy an existing practice, it becomes their business. And they're going to build up their own financial goals. They're going to contribute to 401k plans. They're going to create jobs. If they want to build up a practice and go from five employees to, say, 15 employees or even more, they can do that. And that's the beauty of being in this United States of America and promoting entrepreneurship because that's what happens. You control your own destiny. And uh, sadly, some of them don't think they want to do that or they come out of dental school and have all these student loans. So they say, I'm going to go to work for corporate and pay off my dental school loan. Well, then you get into a high salary situation six to seven years later, and they can't, they don't want to take the risk at that point. And they're, and and they might not be happy. So Paul is interesting. I did a course about seven years ago, six years ago uh, for the California dental association in San Francisco and they, they said, we need you to create a course. It's called I'm a Dentist, Now What? And basically, I, I just created this course from scratch, and I talked about the different um, uh, the different opportunities. You know, start your own practice, buy a practice, go into partnership, um, work for not-for-profits. And, and, and then what I did was I called, and I'm not going to mention any names, two of the largest uh, dental organizations in the country. Uh, that that own they both own well over 800 900 practices and I called their offices and I said I want to send you an email because I took the information off their website and I said this is what I'm going to do this is what I'm going to say please tell me that this is accurate 
And what I said to the young dentists and what I will say to them now and what I've said on this podcast and what you're saying is, is that, you know, um, there is a place for uh, every type of dentistry in our society. And, you know, we encourage you to be entrepreneurs. We encourage you to own your own business, which gives you just all the freedom. You know, we had Johnny Coyce, uh, Dr. John Coyce's son, the CEO of the Coyce Center on. You want to go spend fifty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year on continuing education with them, or Spear, or Panky, or LVI, or, or any of them, and, and and it's the best money my clients have ever spent with these organizations. Uh, you can do that being an entrepreneur. Can you do it working for one of the large groups? You can't, but there are some people that don't want to own uh, practices, and and so you lecture at the o- OU Oklahoma University Dental School. Um, what are you hearing from the students? What are, what are their concerns? You know, the biggest thing is uh, their dental school loans combined with their other college loans. And we try to assure them. And, of course, the nice thing in the last several years, uh, we uh, there's, there's about five or six dental lenders. Uh, in Oklahoma, there's five, four or five of them that are locally owned. And then there's uh, some national uh, banks that will loan a hundred percent of the cost of a dental practice. Right. So, and they don't care that they've got these dental school loans. And so when the, when the students hear that, they start thinking, well, maybe I need to rethink this. And, uh, Grant and I put on a, a deal every year. Uh, it's a dental entrepreneurship dinner. And, uh, we invite, uh, dental lenders and we invite other dentists that have gone into practice or started from scratch and they share what happened when they went into practice and they share a talk about the dental school loans and the debts and that type of thing. And it pretty well reassures them. And since we've started doing that, we feel that more uh, of these students are going to go right into private practice, whether it be to buy one or uh, start from scratch. Although the number start from scratch is nowhere what it was say 20 years ago, but there's still people doing that depending on where they're going. So, uh, we're really feeling uh, encouraged that by uh, putting on these uh, entrepreneurship dinners, the students understand the importance of going into private practice and maybe not necessarily getting into a corporate situation that they're afraid to leave because they make too much money. Yeah, and, and I think you you touched on this earlier. I think that one of the saving graces for the our profession, I call it our profession, even though you and I are not licensed dentists, I feel like it's kind of my profession because you and I have spent a large part of our professional life uh, working with uh, with dentists. But I think the saving grace is that, and I sell dental practices, I'm a broker. And uh, I would say 75% of the doctors, the sellers that we're talking to, when I, I, I ask them always, when they when they sign up with us to list their practice and give give us the honor and privilege of helping them transition into retirement. Uh, I, I asked them, so, so do you, does it really matter who you sell your practice to? And I'm going to say 75% of them are adamant. Yes, it does. I want to meet these people. I want to make sure they're the right fit for my team. Uh, I've, I've had this dental team for 30 years. These are, they're my family. I want to make sure they're well taken care of. I want to make sure my patients are, are, are well taken care of. And that doesn't mean that they won't be well taken care of in a group situation, but this is what they're telling me. So I, I, I think that that doctors, uh, w- what Paul is saying and what I'm saying is, is that, you know, you, you need to, to talk to lots of people, send letters out. When I was 16 years old, Paul, and I was looking for my first accounting job, I literally sat in my bedroom with the phone and the yellow pages. Now, you you and I are old enough to remember the yellow pages, right? <laughs> yes. I, I, I talked to the dentists at the at the at the dental schools and I say, How many of you use the yellow pages? And I do it just to kind of get a kick out of them because they look at me like I'm I'm insane. You know, they don't even know what the yellow pages are. So I literally went from A all the way down and I called every single accounting office because I wanted a part time job working for a, an accountant, because that's what I wanted to be. And I got to um, H, and the guy that answered the phone was Bob Herman, and he was in Cypress, California, which is uh, 
uh, not far from where my current office is. And he hired me for $2.50 an hour, and I was doing bank reconciliations. And, and that's how I got my first accounting job. So, so doctors, if, if you want to practice in an area and you're looking for an associateship situation, um, what you want to do, you know, just send letters out to every dentist in the area. Say, hey, I, I'm graduating from University of Oklahoma, University of uh, Southern California, University of Pacific, wherever it is. And, 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 and all you need is one, right? That's right. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right, and it's um, it's something we just need to keep you know sending the message out uh, because I think there's a good number of them that get discouraged. They don't think they can do it, or they don't think they can get the money for it. That seems to be the primary thing. I I, I started asking the dental lenders uh, about it two years ago. Why why are you all uh, really encouraging? Uh, buying practices and, and funding 100% of that plus operating capital. And they said, Paul, the failure rate, you keep telling everybody, and we believe it, is less than 1%. And when you think about that, I mean, what business do you know, Art, where there's less than 1% failure rate in this country? No, nope. no. Nope. Actually, Paul, I want, a, I want a $25 or $50 gift card from one of the dental lenders that came to our ADCPA meeting I think it was in Baltimore, and that was the question: is what was what is the average default rate uh, of dentists on dental loans? And I, I want to say it was like forty five basis points, like less than half of one percent. Dentists are an excellent risk, and and that's why you know. It, it, and again, we don't have time to get into this. Um, that's why private equity loves dentistry because it's it's cash flow, and they they're a good risk and stuff. So. Well, listen, Paul Woody, you are a dear friend of mine. I love every opportunity I get to talk to you. I always learn something from you. Um, you you're, a, you're, you're an absolute gem uh, and a credit to our profession of being dental CPAs. So one more time, folks, if you have any questions about Social Security, Social Security benefits, Paul is one of the most giving human beings I have ever met. Just, just wonderful, wonderful man. Paul, give out your contact information. And if you are in Oklahoma or the surrounding areas and you're not working with a dental-specific CPA firm, you really need to give Paul and Grant and, and their team a call, and they will take world-class care of you. So give out your information. Uh, our office number is area code 405-840-8000. And uh, my email is uh, pwoody at woodycpas.com. And that's a plural CPAS. And my son, Grant, his email is uh, gwoody at woodycpas.com. That's fantastic. Paul, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for taking your valuable time and sharing it with our listeners. Um, ladies and gentlemen, again, if you want to get a hold of me in my office at Tustin, I'm at 714-259-0505. Uh, email me at artwiederman at gmail.com. Um, look up on our website. All the podcasts are there, www.hmwccpa.com. Go to the resources tab, go to the podcast tab, and um, you'll be able to see all the podcasts. This one will be posted in mid-December of 2019 and will be there for, uh, I believe the word is perpetuity. Uh, and if you are looking for a dental-specific CPA anywhere in the United States, if you're looking for someone in the state of Oklahoma or those surrounding areas, uh, it's uh, Woody and Associates in Oklahoma City. If you're looking for in Southern California, we're north of San Diego because we have a great firm in San Diego. But anywhere in Southern California, that's uh, my firm, uh, HMWC CPAs. Uh, but anywhere in the United States, uh, go on to our website, which is www.adcpa.org, not com, .org. And click on the members map and you'll be able to see all of our member firms. Every one of them is fantastic. And it's been really fun as part of this podcast to bring some of my friends from the ADCPA like Paul on there. So, Paul, thank you so much for your time today and your, your great knowledge uh, of this very important subject. Well, Art, thank you for doing this. And uh, and, and I'll reiterate what you just said. Our our members in the ADCPA are just great folks and uh, uh uh, that website that you gave out, the uh, uh, ADCPA website, that .org, that's an important website because it gives the locations of all of our members throughout the United States. 
and, and, and also folks look at the local dental society meetings and the, you know, the state dental society meetings. Cause a lot of us, uh, speak, I speak at, uh, the California dental association convention. Um, uh, I'm sure Paul speaks every, all of our members are speaking at, uh, uh, local and regional and national meetings have great, great information. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for the honor of your time and uh, for listening. Our, our podcast is growing exponentially. Um, it is just so much fun to get emails and calls from people. Art, I learned your, I listened to your podcast. I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed that one. Um, I, I enjoy, uh, uh, I just enjoy the information. And, and, and that's what this is for is to inform uh, and to help uh, help our dentists who have been, uh, uh, you know, they have so many challenges, but they're just such wonderful, wonderful people. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this edition of The Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman, CPA. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.